0: Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Radio Show with host Karen Rands. A compassionate capitalist is someone who invests their money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market and create wealth for all those involved. Karen shares insights and best practices for entrepreneurs to succeed and investors to share in that success without all the risks. And now. So welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Show. course, I'm Karen Rands. Happy to have you back with us today. We have a really interesting topic that I think everybody can um, relate to and apply when it comes to whether you're starting a business, growing a business, an executive in a business, somebody that is looking at managing, um, investing in entrepreneurs along with whatever they do on their, their day job or their day activities. And just really when it comes to better life balance in a lot of ways. There's a lot of myths that are out there or misperception of what makes somebody really productive and how do you get, how do you work harder or how do you work smarter, not harder? You know, all of that, you know, the hustle week, there's just so many different philosophies on that. And then there's just really people that just, particularly entrepreneurs and founders that are just pounding it out day after day. And then there's this idea of burnout. And so, You know, when I had an opportunity to interview my guest today, Joe Sandok, Hello, say hello there, Joe, for those that are watching. Uh, I thought, perfect, we've not covered this topic in a while. And now that people are getting back into whatever they figured out for balancing, work-life balance during COVID, and they were working from home, and they could take a little snippet and take care of a personal matter or go do this, they might have had more balance within an entire day, you know, of how they work, but it also becomes really hard to separate work from leisure when you're home seven days and your office is in your living room or in your extra bedroom. It's hard to break away and define those boundaries. And as we go back to work and we're starting to have to go back into offices or have have people that we're serving in, like we might be a retail operator or something like that, and there's hours. how do we now bring back our, our, our appreciation and meld in our free time, our balance, our ability to regroup our brain, re-energize ourselves. And so Joe is an expert to talk about that. His new book that's coming out uh, very soon, Thursday is the new Friday, Uh, And uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about his background and how he became how he has used this for himself and mastered it for himself. Not only on in in growing his own income, but also growing his own quality of life, but then also for the clients and the people that he works with, and the whole premise and how he developed this, and and I may even get some benefit on myself because I could definitely use this this kind of information. So, let me tell you about Joe and why I'm why this, he's the perfect one to talk about that. I already mentioned that he's the author of Thursday is the New Friday: How to Work fewer hours make more money and spend time doing what you want that sounds like a utopia it examines how the four-day work week boosts creativity and productivity he doesn't just talk just write about the four-day work week, because that's that's happened before this is not necessarily a new concept but he gives really uh uh practical advice and tools that you yourself can use it. And then you also have opportunities to engage in other programs that he has to help you learn how to apply some of this stuff. But he did it. He, he went from working himself 60 hour weeks to traveling with his family full time in an RV while being even more productive at work and, and growing his wealth as the process of that. So it's personal wealth, emotional wealth and financial wealth. He believes that working for yourself in your own business shouldn't have to feel like a job and working smarter and limiting the time you spend on things that don't matter can help. Gosh, yes. So he also hosts the popular Practice of the Practice podcast, which is recognized as one of the top 50 podcasts worldwide with over 100,000 downloads each month. You can get information at that at practiceofthepractice.com. And uh, best-selling authors, experts, scholars, and business leaders and innovators are featured and interviewed on the 550-plus podcast he has done over the last six years. So uh, he, we're going to talk more about, tell me, um, Joe, how you came to, because you have two masters, a master's in psychology and counsel. So you yourself were hustling it, leading the field on this like you said, 60 hour work weeks, what, what was the trigger that said, there's gotta be a better way. And how did you come up with this? My, you know, shifting over to figuring out how to do four days out of your seven and have a better, a better wealthier life on all fronts.
1: Yeah. You know, Karen, it's interesting how often we come back to what we already kind of know intuitively my freshman year of college when the advisor said, all right, you can make your schedule I said, wait, I don't have to have classes on Friday. She's like, no, do whatever you want. This is college. And I I had only one class on Friday throughout all of college. And then I get into the work world and I'm working 60 plus hours a week. I take that traditional counseling path first at nonprofits, then community mental health, then at a college, you know, I have my 40 hour job plus my side gig counseling practice, and I'm just hustling and hustling. Um, And then 2012 hits. And in 2012, um, my new baby, who was less than a year old, had to have open heart surgery. And uh, we went through that whole system. She had full open heart surgery, living in the Ronald McDonald house, seeing this little beautiful baby be all puffed up. And just it was it was so hard. And then, you know, we got the all clear eventually and she was fine. It went great. Um, But two weeks after we got the all clear, I got diagnosed with thyroid cancer. Oh, wow. And just when I thought I was out of this system, I was out of the medical world. Like, let's just, you know, go raise this little baby. Um, You know, I'm back in and, you know, that was treated and I had radioactive iodine treatment and lost a bunch of hair. Um, But, you know, that was a year where my grandma died. My best friend's wife had breast cancer. I mean, we've all had those 2012s where just the stuff hits the fan and you just pause, you know, that's all you can do is pause and just get through it. But when, once you're through it, you start to evaluate, like, is this the life that I want to live? I mean, for a lot of people, that's what COVID was, was, whoa, how was I living life before I was on lockdown? Uh, And so for me, uh, that really caused a shift for me where I didn't hate my job. And that was, that was part of the problem is I didn't hate my job. It'd be one thing if this 60 plus hours felt like the kind of work I didn't want to do, but I was helping students. I was helping families. I, I was very fulfilled from the work and I also had very little time for my family, my friends and hobbies and health and all those things that were important to me. So I started to make some shifts where um, eventually by 2014, I had built up this side gig counseling, uh, kind of consulting business where I could leave that full-time job. And when I left that job, uh, I did an experiment that very first summer where I took Fridays off. And I thought, you know what? This is, I'm in charge of my schedule now. There's no boss over me. Uh, let's just this summer see what happens if I take Fridays off. And I thought, oh, it's going to be a 20% dip, but it wasn't. It it was a better month every month after month. And then I kept doing that Fridays off. And then I thought the next summer, what if I took Mondays off just to see? Uh, I took Mondays off for the summer because I was so much more efficient with my time and doing the top level things. I was able to do more in a less amount of time.
0: So is that, so are you actually doing a three-day work week? Is that going to be the next?
1: Week? <laughs> you know, for most people a jump to a four-day work week is a big enough jump. Uh, we didn't have <laughs> to go into like the three-day work week. People would just blow me off and be like, who is this guy?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, well, I mean, let's, let's talk about that because, you know, there's seven days a week and depending on what it is that you do, you know, there's, where do we come up with this idea that people work five days a week? So let's just kind of start We're right there with that level set of that, because there is so much flexibility in how people work these days with gig economies, with people having side gigs, with people, you know, having their own business where they're a sole proprietor. But then even with, you know, we're going to get into this, but with the entrepreneurs that I, service and uh then and help out with and even a lot of the investors and these people they call themselves serial entrepreneurs and investors that they blow up a whole seven day work week kind of a thing because they actually do work seven days a week so so Todd ta- let's talk about wh- where did that come from what's what's the history behind that and and why is that so ingrained in american culture
1: yeah, it's interesting because when I pitched Harper Collins on the book, I didn't even have the historical side to it. It was when I started to write the book, I thought, you know, I should probably understand the seven-day week and just how we got time and the forty-hour work week and all that. Um, and so I looked into first, you know, when we look at just nature, a year makes sense. You know, the globe goes around the sun; it takes a year. Uh, a day makes sense; it takes twenty-four hours for it to spin. We come back to the same spot we were at yesterday. But a seven day week, like there's nothing in nature that really points to that. We have to have a seven day week. (laughs) You know, we could have had a five day week that was 73 weeks long in a year. So I was like, why? And, And so I looked at it and actually the Babylonians thousands of years ago had seven major celestial things they could see the sun, the moon, earth, Mars, Venus, Mercury, and Jupiter. So they said, let's do a seven day week. The Egyptians, they had an eight day week. The Romans had a 10 day week. We literally made up the seven day week. So, we the premise: we made this all up. Um, that makes it a little easier to deconstruct it. If we're just like, "Hey, these random Babylonians made up the seven day week because they didn't know anything about astronomy." Yeah. So then, well, where'd we get the forty hour week? Well, in 1926, uh, exactly forty years after a major protest happened. So, in 1886, there's this major protest in Chicago. The, the workers there felt like their rights weren't being met and they wanted to have, you know, a 40-hour work week, but it didn't really take off. Henry Ford wanted to sell more cars to his own employees. And so he said, you know, if people have leisure time, they're more likely to buy cars. So he switched over in 1926, May of 1926, he switched over to the 40-hour work week. So that was the first major corporation to switch over. Everyone else followed within about five to 10 years. So we see that this thing that we hold dear, that this 40 hour work week, working five days a week is less than a hundred years old. So we made up the seven day week, we made up the 40 hour week. And then we see over time that that Friday, Really starts to fade out. I mean, in the 1980s and 90s, we saw TGIF on ABC and you know, Full House and Urkel and all that. Uh, for Fridays, typically we see that you know, that's when we host birthday parties. We have, you know, a baby shower, some team building activity where we gotta do the trust fall into our coworkers' arms. You know, it's like a half-worked day. Um, in a lot of ways, I would say that Friday has been having an affair with the weekend for a long time. And we finally <laughs> saw it, you know, like, let's just call it what it is. Friday's having an affair with the weekend. Let's just move it over. Uh, because honestly, we all know that Fridays are not as productive as Mondays. And so right. what would happen if we fully allowed ourselves on Fridays to regroup and recenter so that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we can absolutely kill it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you know, because that's the thing, you know, we, I mentioned earlier in the intro about it, investors and entrepreneurs, it's like, there's this perception that if you're not working 80 hours, you're not hustling enough to get the things done. And so, I mean, and I have read, and I have know, you know, like the whole, and I was trying to look up beforehand to see, because it seems like the most successful entrepreneurs, the ones that are mass tit- you know, titans of industry, right? They've created markets. They have a real value of, of downtime in a workday where they think and they, they take time to let like solutions marinate the questions and answers and marinate to solve problems in their brain. And they, whether they're just looking out the window in a, out there, you know, executive office window or taking a walk around the block or, you know, whatever like that. And, So talk about why that benefits people to make them more productive if they do actually take time to recharge and not just keep spinning and hustling.
1: Yeah, I mean, whether it's Einstein, who most of his theories he thought about first and then found the math to prove. Or, you know, it's Steve Jobs who had his famous walking meetings yeah. or Bill Gates, who has this think week where he goes and reads books in the middle of the wilderness for a while. Like these top performers are doing that. So if we think about like what just is happening in our brains, typically, typically we're running full tilt, we're stressed out, we're maxed out, we recover on the weekends, we do it all over again. But deep down, I think we know, you know, when we're taking a shower and we have that aha moment or we're on a long car drive and, you know, maybe we don't have any music or podcasts or anything playing. We just let our brains wander. It connects between different parts of our brain in ways that is completely different. If we, if we're just stressed out all the time, Uh, there was actually a study at the university of Illinois where they looked at vigilance decrement. So vigilance, how well you pay attention to something decrement, meaning breaking down over time. So the idea, you know, before this study was that we're given kind of a cup of water of energy or attention for the day. And throughout the day, you're pouring it out. I'm on Karen's podcast, pouring out my energy. You know, I'm on another podcast after this, at the end of it, you know, I just have used up the energy and the awareness that I have for the day. And they wanted to challenge that. And so they did this study where they brought in students and gave them a very boring task. So they came in for about an hour. They sat in front of a computer screen. They were given a four-digit number. Say it was 3921. Every time 3921 pops up on the screen, you got to hit a button. 3921, hit the button. Any other four-digit number, you don't hit the button. Well, what did they find over that hour? Well, there was vigilance decrement. The amount they paid attention went down over time. So they missed their number towards the end. They got bored. It just went down. Well, then with the second group, as you do in a research study, uh, the first third, after the first third, they paused and they gave them a one minute break. They said something like, you know, we put you on the wrong computer, go hang out in the lobby for a minute. We'll get you set up somewhere else. Uh, They made some excuse. Uh, There were no screens out there. They had maybe some nature magazines, just one minute break, brought them back, went through the next third, did another one minute break, and then the last third. So only two minutes of break in an hour period of time. And they found there was no vigilance decrement. Well, why? Let's think about the evolution of the brain. You've walked through a forest a million times, you know there's tigers there, but for 40 years, you've never seen a tiger. You're gonna get lazy in regards to thinking about tigers after 40 years, because you know, you know there's no tigers. Now, what happens if you're in a new space where you've been told there's tigers? You're going to pay attention better, right? So that one minute break actually resets the brain to say, wait, let's pay attention to this environment again, just like it's a new place that we're going through. So even having little micro breaks within our day can reset our brains to have more vigilance and not experience that decrement compared to if we just plow through things like we always have.
0: So is that that important? Useful because if you do it intentionally versus distraction because you get a beep on your phone and you look it up and all of a sudden there's a cat video or a news article of something that you've been following and now you're distracted. So explain the difference between an intentional refocus or or refresher versus distraction.
1: Yeah. So I think that, you know, one thing that we want to do when we're in our work day is to really protect our brains. So for example, when I was writing this book, it was every Thursday I wrote this book. Um, I had set it up in a way where I had whiteboarded out the week before what the next chapter was going to be. So my brain's marinating on it all week long. On the day that I'm writing the book, I do a number of things. I make sure that I don't have any of those pop-ups that are on my phone. And so there isn't even the potential for distraction. Uh, When I woke up each day, I wouldn't check to see if there was texts. I wouldn't check my email. I wouldn't check the news because I knew something would piss me off. And so it's like, I don't want to start writing a book when I'm all frustrated. So I didn't even look at my phone. Then when I went into my office, I had a different set of lights set up for writing days and so I'm triggering my brain to say right now is an intentional writing day and so there was different lighting I sat in a different spot I had wow. a different play I had a different playlist so the auditory that I heard was only my writing playlist I only use it for writing uh, it was one that took a little bit of time to figure out uh, even when I went to make myself lunch I kept my headphones on these noise cancelling headphones this was during covid so my two daughters are hanging out in the house so like, it's very hard to make sure that you have that protected time but they knew i'd give them a hug before i started i would shut the door and i would come out when i came out and then i came down i'd make lunch i'd leave the headphones on they then knew that that was the boundary I had set. They knew not to interrupt daddy. And then I went back into writing mode and then you know write, wrote like heck the rest of the day. And then when I was done, kind of the rhythm was I came and I said, daddy's home from work. And they came and gave hugs. And it was like, now we're going to play. So I, I had support from the people that were around me to make sure that they didn't interrupt it. Um, I had environmental support with the lights and the music and the rhythms. And then each week I would sketch out what the next week was so that my brain can keep working on it in my subconscious so that I got more done the next Thursday So instead of just looking at a blank screen and saying, what am I going to write this week? I had a full pattern to get the most done in that short period of time.
0: Yeah. And you know, that's a really great example too, because so many times I'll have, you know, these questions will come up or I'll be advising an entrepreneur or there'll be, you know, I'll be doing a workshop and it'll be, what do you have to do when you're starting out? And the first thing I always tell them to do is that you have to write a business plan. This is for startups, founders, you have to write a business plan that you can convince your family it's worth it for. They're your first investors because if you're starting up a business and you have to hustle, right, and you got to do this, you need to be able to allocate, you know, say, look, I may miss this event or I may miss this thing because I have this planning or this particular deal or this kind of whatever, but then when you come home, if you're if you're true to that and you stay focused, then when you come home, you can have quality time with your family. And in your example, what you just said, even though you're like just upstairs, now you're home and you're not just sitting down in front of the computer with your your TV your, your, and you're watching a show with them and they're like on the floor and you're on your couch with your computer and you're in the same room, but you're not really together doing anything. So it sounds like By you being very specific and intentional and focused like that, you really do bring in the best of of balancing and not just working for the weekend or giving lip service to quality family time.
1: Yeah, and I think that it's as much in the family time or the hobby time as in the work time. You know, So often we we see a book that's about hustle or we see a book about self-care and calming down, but there's very few books that bring that together. And that's actually where the neuroscience points to is that when you slow down, you're optimizing your brain to do more when you're being productive. And so even thinking about throughout all of the pandemic uh, with my daughters, we had a non-negotiable daily walk. Like, I don't care if it's raining, sleeting, snowing, we are going outside and doing this three mile walk. And every single day we did it throughout the entire pandemic. There were days that it was full on just raining and snowing. And we had this thing in our family that we stole it from somebody, but it was, there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothing. And and so it was like, (laughs) you better dress up kids because we're going outside. And it became so fun. Like the the tough weather days were more fun than the regular days. Uh, And it added a sense of adventure. And I think what you're pointing to is that how do people typically have fun? Well, they've overvalued work and they've undervalued fun, but by undervaluing fun, you're actually not doing your best work. And so How do I show up the next day if after I was done with work, I've set boundaries where I'm not going to be doing work texts. I'm not going to be doing email while I'm watching Netflix at nine at night after the kids are in bed, you know, but instead I'm going for a walk with them. I'm figuring out my body. We're drinking green smoothies together. We're getting good sleep. How do I show up differently the next day when I've actually valued that slowing down each night, but then also on the weekends, we value that as well.
0: I think, you know, emotionally you would get, just thinking about that and, and and being hardcore like because you enjoy you're intentional about your recreation and your relaxation, that you um, it's easier to be more focused and dedicated in the work time because you're not trying to steal a little time away, from you know, this work thing because you've got you're looking, you're anticipating this other because I know I always joke that when I'm getting ready to go on vacation, I have the most productive week ever because yeah, I know yeah. I gotta get all this stuff done because I'm really gonna not work during that next week. And so if I do that in my intention on the weekends and even at nighttime, I could see it being so much more productive in just in that kind of behavior. So your approach is to really give people the skills to do that in there, not just once a year when they're preparing to vaca- go on vacation, but for every week and to really assess what do they have to do to make the income and grow the income that they they want, need and want, but also to value and spend time with the ones that they love to spend time to, whether they have a family or or just friends or wherever that. It is um, in your, uh, your mental health, your physical health, and your financial health to get good at that.
1: Absolutely. And what you're talking about right before vacation uh, has been proved over and over. We've heard of Parkinson's law that work expands to the time given. Uh, I mean, we all learned this when we were in college, when you forgot there's a paper due tomorrow. (laughs) You got that paper done. You stayed up till four in the morning writing that paper. It may not have been your best work, but you got it done. And so if you all of a sudden say, you know what, I am not going to work on Fridays at all for the summer or at all for the fall. You just pick a period of time to experiment for, say, you know, two months. Say you have 25 things that you need to get done in any given week. Well, now you maybe can only get 15 of those done. Well, which 15 are you gonna do? Are you gonna get the the worst 15 or the best 15? Well, you're gonna get the best 15 done. Well, what does that tell you about those bottom 10? Maybe you don't need to do them. Maybe you need to hire an assistant at 15 bucks an hour to do them. Uh, Maybe that should just be eliminated. Maybe there should be some sort of software as a service that takes care of it. I mean, I have a director of details that she goes through my email several times a day and she just stars the top tier things. And then the super top tier, like if my attorney sends me you know, an email or uh, if one of my consulting clients emails me, she'll text me and say, you know, this person just sent you an email. So I'm not getting sucked into the email world of the 200 plus emails we get a day. I spend 20 minutes at most on a busy day answering 10 emails. And, and so even figuring out that level of where we're just saying, what is the very best use of my time when I am working? And it feels like the most productive you then get excited about showing up. Like I don't get the Sunday blues. Like I was excited that I have this interview with you. Cause it's the stuff I want to be doing, you know, versus, oh great. I have to do all this work that I don't want to do. Like, this is your business, do the stuff
0: you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. So you in your book, you talk about internal inclination. So describe to our audience uh, what what those are and how they may impact your style and your ability to do this, because I know I have a challenge where I have a perception that a certain i loved love your story about writing the book because I have a perception that in order to accomplish a certain task, it's going to take this amount of time. And if I don't have that amount of time, then I um, I, I can't even get started on it and i have a really true confessions here bad habit of putting time on my calendar like for for a work activity and then i and then i blow it i let appointments come in i'll do something different than that and i know i've uh, recently i've been told well you're basically lying to your conditioning yourself that you're not dependable (laughs) and so (laughs) at least
1: you're being honest about it
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, so so talk about those inclinations like that, because I want to depend on myself and I want to get my stuff done that I got to get done. So,
1: well, when we get to the third inclination, let's really (laughs) dig into what you just said, because that's totally number three. So internal inclinations, what are they? So a big focus of the book is to not just look at a macro perspective of moving to the four-day work week, but realizing it's individuals that are making this decision. It's an individual boss, an individual CEO, an individual entrepreneur that is saying, I want to help make this happen within the company I'm at. And so first and foremost, we have to look at our internal inclinations, where we're naturally drawn. So there's three that research supports that top achievers have. So the first one is curiosity. The second one is an outsider perspective. And the third one is the ability to move on it. So let's break those down a little bit. So curiosity, um, you know, I was really interested whenever I kind of look at things similar to when I looked at time, I was like, where did we get the idea of curiosity killed the cat? So, And in, 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 in I think it was 1910, uh, the Washington Post headline read curiosity killed the cat. There's all, there's this cat that got stuck in a chimney. And for five days, like the nation was watching this cat. Is it going to get out of the chimney? They were disassembling the chimney. There were fire people. Um, you know, this lady, uh, I think her name was Mrs. Mabel. Uh, she was there, or Miss Mabel. She was there like wanting her cat and her cat died in the chimney but what does that teach us curiosity killed the cat so if you're curious you're gonna die Uh, if you're a little kid that goes down a dark alley you're gonna get stolen Um, those are things that we teach our kids don't talk to strangers curiosity is bad Uh, but really i look at my say six-year-old who when we were in petrified forest you know she's looking at these rocks that were once you know an amazing tree She's like how did this happen she still talks about that she wants to be a geologist she's learning these, these things she's curious when we don't know something as a kid we dive in and dig in um but something happens in our educational system and the way we live life where we eventually learn that curiosity killed the cat and, and so top performers never learn that they end up keep being curious and instead of waiting for that eureka moment They just say, well, that's interesting. And then go to the next thing. Oh, that's interesting. So whether they're looking at their Facebook data or they're looking at something else, wow, we ran this thousand dollar ad campaign and we got no results. Well, that's interesting. What can we learn from that? So curiosity is the number one internal inclination. Number two is the outsider perspective. Um, There's a research study that looked at the influence of outsiders on a small group of people. So it started with a group of, of, of six to eight people. They, the researcher would hold up a card that had either blue or green on it, different shades of blue or green. And, and the group would say, that, that's green, that's blue, that's blue. You know, so they're going through. And you know, for the most part, the group agreed and they were accurate. Well, then they brought in two other people and pulled some people out in a different group. And these people were working with the researchers. And for a handful of them that were in the middle, they'd say that that's definitely green, even though the rest of the group thought it was blue. Statistically, these outsiders had more influence than they should have um, based on just being outsiders. And, and so we see this over and over. You know, people like Einstein that I mentioned earlier, he moved all the time. Elon Musk, you know, bounced countries all the time felt like an outsider a lot of the time, but then that gave them a very unique perspective in being able to see things differently than the common culture. So number two is that outsider perspective. And then that third one is the ability to move on it. And so on one side, we have speed and the other side, we have accuracy. There's a million things I want to be accurate. For example, if I go into any surgery, I want that to be accurate. I want them to take as long as they need to finish whatever surgery they're doing on my body while I'm unconscious. But There's a lot of things that they just need to get done. They don't need to be perfect. They can be adjusted later on. I think most entrepreneurs uh, have probably gone through some sort of higher ed. They've worked on that paper, the draft, they go to the writing center, all those different things. And then at the end of it, they turn in that perfect paper and then they get graded. That's just not how the business world works. And so if we can start to move towards speed over accuracy in most situations, we then stop being paralyzed by perfection.
0: Okay. Okay. So those are approaches to oh, the paralyzed, paralyzed per, by perfection. So these are approaches to just keep in motion and getting things done versus trying to make sure you do it at like a, a precise way before you take any action. Because I know a lot of times people do get paralyzed because they're, they're like, oh, it's, it's not ready, it's not ready, it's not ready. So are all of those related to that sort of hindrance?
1: Yes, yeah, so all three of those internal inclinations are sort of a, a baseline soil, we might say, for being able to slow down and then kill it. And so if you don't even understand whether or not you're a naturally curious person, or maybe there needs to be some work, uh, if you're naturally have an outsider perspective, or maybe that needs some work, or if you have the ability to move on it, or that needs some work then you, know, you wanna start there before you really dive into the other things. So for example, for you, you were saying, um, you know, I've got this particular task, I set time aside and then I end up filling that time. I mean, what's that behavior telling you about that priority? It's probably telling you that it's not a priority. Um, well, okay, so then why isn't that a priority? Um, if it's in your calendar, I would say, view it as if it's a client. Don't put it in your calendar if it's not a priority. And, and so uh, even just the behavior of ignoring it or scheduling over it is showing me that that's maybe something that you don't actually value as much as you should. And so maybe we need to just give yourself permission to, to kill that task. Maybe you need to have an intensive to kind of go away and just work on all those tasks. There's a lot of strategies, but you know, is that even an important thing for you to spend your time on is probably the first question to ask yourself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so does that fall into what you, the work style focus of sprint types?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I think that would kind of start to move us into that sprint type area. So sprint types, um, we wanna think about it on kind of an X, Y axis, meaning that um, there's kind of two different things that work together with the sprint types. So first you're either a time block sprinter, uh, we might call this batching, uh, where you do one task all at once. And so for example, maybe you're doing podcast interviews back to back to back. So John Lee Dumas, he, you know, does his daily EO fire show. I think he records all that month in a day or two a month It just like kills it. So he's definitely a time block sprinter on one side. On the other side are what we call task switch sprinters. So these are people that need more variety. Uh, You may have heard, oh, you should batch together all this stuff. But if you're not naturally wired that way, you're gonna feel like a big failure. Like, oh man, I, th- I thought I was a time block sprinter. Um, I can't batch, maybe you just need some variety. So on one side we have, you're doing one task all at once, or on the other side, we have the task switch sprinter, which is somebody that's, you know, you have 20 minutes of one type of sprint, then 20 minutes of another, 20 minutes of another. So you first figure that out. And we have all sorts of assessments in the book to help you figure these things out. And then on the other side, we have, are you an automated sprinter? or are you an intensive sprinter? So an automated sprinter is someone that puts it in their week and it repeats every week. So for the book, I was definitely an automated sprinter. Every Thursday, I'm working on the book. Uh, there was some variety in it, so there's some task switching within it, but it was still the book. Now, the uh, intensive sprinter on the other side is someone like Dr. Jeremy Sharp, who has the Testing Psychologist podcast. So I feature him in the book because he's the one that really, I think captures this best. So he'll get an Airbnb several times a year, He'll make sure that it's within walking distance from a vegan restaurant. He'll make sure it has a backyard area. So indoor and outdoor space, he doesn't want to have to drive anywhere, have that stress. He wants to be able to go to some restaurants that he can eat at and he'll go away for three or four days and just kill it. He'll get podcasting things done. He'll get, um, you know, plans and marketing, all sorts of other things. So he does a lot of task switching within that. So it's not just one thing like his podcast, it's all sorts of things that he's working on, but he needs to go away to make that happen. Other people like myself, I just put it in the calendar and put it on repeat and I usually get it done. I don't feel the need to go away for it. So again, people oftentimes feel like, oh, I just put it in my calendar, it repeats, and I keep adding clients on top of it. And you feel bad about, oh, I can't batch or sprint like I thought I should. Well, no, maybe you're just an intensive sprinter and you need to go away for four days to just knock out all these things. It's more figuring out what your unique menu is, your DNA type or your sprint type um, that's going to help you be more successful rather than saying, oh, I, I just failed at this. I guess I'm bad at business.
0: So, how long did it take you to figure out your whole routine on setting up that one day a week to work on your book? Because, you know, that's, that is a time block, right? That you have set up from an automatic standpoint but you stayed true to it and you you learned that you needed to diffuse a distraction because I, I, I'm kind of a thing like, well, could I really go up into my office and do this whole thing for for 10 hours or do I need to go rent a place and go to a hotel and do it so I'm not distracted. So how did you I mean, obviously, you coach on this stuff, but did you. Did you did that evolve over time till you perfected it and then you really got it down and got everybody around you to appreciate that and 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 honor that this is what you were doing so they didn't distract you too?
1: I mean, for years I've been doing this style of thing when I had something to do where I would put it in my calendar and then you know have it just repeat. So Thursday mornings for the longest time, that's when I did all my podcasts to make sure that by the next Tuesday they would go live. Uh, and, and I think with my kids from the beginning, it was you know, I'm gonna give you a hug when I go to work in my office and I'll give you a hug when I come back. And I may say hi during the day, but if, if I'm up here, like you're not up here. Uh, and so I think I have probably 16 to 20 timers a day going, depending on what's going on, because I wanna be able to get into that flow state and know that I can jump in um, to the next uh, task right away. So for example, um, I knew right before this that I was making my daughter lunch. I set a timer for 10 minutes before so I could you know, put on my shirt, come make sure everything's all set up. you know. And I don't wanna get so into a task that I forget about a really important podcast interview, whether that's a task of email or something for business or even just helping my daughter with lunch. Um, and so what that does to the brain though, is it allows me to be fully present in just doing lunch with my daughter. Cause I know I have a timer that's going to say, Joe, go up to Karen's podcast right now and it's like, okay, all right, goodbye, Lucia, like go enjoy your time downstairs. Like make sure you do your to-do list and go clean and do these things. And then I'm going to go on a podcast and I'll be back in an hour. And, and so to just be able to fully be present within any task, I think that alone is so just freeing for people. Even, even over this past weekend, uh, there was a few things that I remembered I hadn't done last week. And so I could just say, I'm not going to even think about that, but I knew that would just cycle in my brain trying to remember for Monday morning. So I just set up a to-do list for Monday morning, drop those things in there. It took me five minutes to put it in. And then I texted my assistant and said, Hey, if there's any other things you need me to do, I have a thing in my calendar for Monday morning that says Joe to do. Um, And so it just takes it off of your brain. And then, you know, last night I did a daughter date night with my daughter, Lucia, and I could fully be there because... I knew there was nothing about work that I was working on right then. Uh, So, you know, we went out to dinner, we biked downtown, we went and played ski ball and uh, went to this arcade and had a great time and no part of me was not there. And and I think that's where the biggest problem is. We want to be where we are and eliminate all those distractions of whether it's when we're at work, we need to be at work. When we're at home or with our friends, we need to be with our friends and be at home. And when we do that, we just get so much more done in the work world, but we also enjoy all that time outside of work.
0: And those around you enjoy your presence more so, too, whether it's employees, you know, team members um, or your family and friends, because you're you can be fully present in the moment with all of those interested parties. So that's really great. I really Joe, I think this has been uh, uh, excellent for those that are listening, please uh uh, comment share this with others that you know that are struggling with this and i want to encourage everybody to get the book thursday is the new friday.com but also if you want to learn more connect up with joe you want to get access to the book and the pre-release or uh, find out more about his podcast anything the central place to reach out to joe is at joesanoc.com which is Joe J O E S <laughs> A N O K dot com, J O E S A N O K For those that are um, listening, uh, all of this information will be in the show notes as well. Anything else you'd like to add before we say our goodbyes and wrap up, Joe?
1: Oh, Karen, this has been awesome. I know that as people work less, uh, they're going to just enjoy their lives more, and ultimately. Um, they're going to do better work for the world, and you know that's what we need. We need people that love the work that they do, but also love the time away from their work.
0: Absolutely, yep. I, I know that I have been working towards this kind of balance for a long time. I used to joke; I'd be like, "Well, if I didn't have so much balance, I'd get all my work done." And uh, <laughs> and so I just uh, it's like, okay, well. You know, it's like, but it's that prioritizing and what I've taken away from this is um, knowing that you're anticipating whatever else you have going on outside of your your job and work requirements so that you will be 100% engaged in that activity and be more productive. So um, I think that switch, you've helped me flip that switch. So my work time will be more productive in knowing that I am rewarding myself with the activities I have planned for my balance. Right. So, yeah, great. Right. So uh, onwards and upwards, everybody remember Joe Sanok.com and please go to Karen to learn more about how we help entrepreneurs and investors achieve their dreams and create wealth. And also please encourage you if you're interested in getting in started investing in entrepreneurs inside secrets to angelinvesting.com to get all the information about that book. Thank you so very much. Again, I really do appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to do this and enjoy the rest of the time that you have with your daughter this afternoon. And what else ever else you got going on? Thank you, Joe.
1: Thank you so much, Karen.